You know, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 12. If you have your scripture and want to open up to it, I'll get to that in just a moment. You know, there was an Episcopal priest who was preaching in an unfamiliar church one Sunday morning. And as he stood behind the pulpit uh, to begin the service, he tapped on the microphone uh, to make sure that it was on. And he, he didn't hear anything. And, uh, you know, even though it was working fine, he didn't hear anything. And so he leaned a, close, a little closer to the microphone and he said, he thought to himself, he said, there's something wrong with this thing. And the congregation being a well-trained church people, they immediately responded, and also with you. (laughs) There's something wrong with this thing. You know, this story illustrates the danger of the familiar. The danger that we have with the familiar. We can be so steeped in routine that we stop paying attention to what we're doing. It can be dangerous to drive on a road that we drive on every single day. It's dangerous because we stop being alert. We, we can do this in our sleep. We can just drive and not have a worry about it until something happens. And then it's too late. A husband and a wife, they can soon take for granted all the things that their spouse does. In fact, they can be some, become so used to the provisions, you know, meals being cooked, the, the garbage taken out, laundry done, the yard mowed, children taken care of, that before long, we don't even realize the person is doing these things. We take them for granted. And before we know it, we feel like we're the only ones putting out anything into the relationship. And it, it is at those points that marital affairs often occur because we are taken for granted. You know, a parent can become so used to having their children uh, filling their life with joy that they don't appreciate their child until they move away. See, we become so used to the things that, that we don't even notice them until they're gone. Folks, this is also the danger that we face as we come to the Easter season. I mean, the accounts that we have of the triumphal entry of of Jesus riding the, 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 the donkey into Jerusalem or his crucifixion on the cross or even the, the story of him rising from the dead and the empty tomb and his resurrection. We hear it each year and it's familiar to most of us that we can easily go through the motions of celebration. Going through those motions without ever allowing the message of those events to touch us. We hear it, we hear it, and we hear it. See, the challenge every year is to read these accounts with a a fresh approach, a a new set of eyes, if you will. So I wanna examine this familiar account of of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and maybe we can discover uh, something more from a slightly different approach. So read with me, if you will. We're gonna be in John chapter 12. A few weeks ago, we were in John chapter 12, and we read about Mary anointing Jesus' feet. 
And then it's sandwiched in between that and the the story uh, of Jesus teaching where he said, uh, truly a grain of wheat falls in the earth. And and we we covered that as well. So this kind of falls. We're finally getting to the good part of the filling, okay, between the Oreo cookie here. Okay, this is the good stuff. And, And we have John 12, it says this. It says, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast... When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and they went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had, that they had done these things to him. Verse 17, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. And for this reason also, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for um, how it speaks to us. It's the living word. So, Father, I pray that today, once again, you would remove those things that are so familiar to us. But, Father, that in your presence, we would recognize that you are doing something beyond what we can see. Father, that you are at work even when we don't know it. And, Father, that you are at work in and around all of the circumstances. Father, that you are in control. And Father, we gladly concede that control to you. Father, I pray that the Lord Jesus would be magnified. Father, that you would be glorified in this and that your Holy Spirit would just guide us to the truth of where we are and where you desire us to be. Father, I pray that you would just anoint your people to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Father, that you would, we would see a great revival right here, right now, by your power and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, I want you to notice this morning just a very strong declaration of love by Jesus in this passage. I mean, this event is so out of character for Jesus. He's so out of his character. I mean, previous to this, as Jesus is doing ministry, as he's walking this earth, he always avoided the spotlight. He didn't want to be front and center. He avoided that. You remember in John chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding of a family friend And his mother wanted him to uh, help the friends of the family with this embarrassing wine shortage. And so she wanted him to turn the water into wine. And, And he told her then, he said, my time has not yet come. Jesus didn't want to make a public spectacle of himself. He didn't want a scene. 
And then again in John chapter 6, we have the occasion where Jesus felt like the people were going to take him by force and make him their king. And so he, he went out, he, he left town, he got out of there. Rather than enjoying the, the, the public acclaim, he left the place. In fact, whenever the ministry of Jesus seemed to be getting to a point of success in one community, Jesus would always move to a, a new community. And on several occasions, Jesus tells those that, are, that he is healed, don't tell anyone. Don't say anything. Don't tell anyone. Jesus was not looking for public dis, uh, demonstrations on his behalf. He was not looking to, 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 to make a spotlight. He was not seeking that. Not until this day. Not until this day. See, on several occasions we read, you know, Jesus... He never compromised the truth, but he, he generally walked away from conflict situations. This parade that we talk about and that we read about was organized by Jesus himself. You know, we read in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that Jesus had arranged to use a donkey. He told his disciples to go to town and find, his, find this donkey and it would be tied up outside. And, and they, if anyone questioned them, they were to say, the master has need of him. Apparently, Jesus had made arrangements to use a donkey and he had this parade in mind in advance. He was planning on riding this donkey into Jerusalem. But understand, this is not a spontaneous demonstration. Jesus intended for this to happen. The question we must ask, though, is why? Why did Jesus do this? Why has Jesus orchestrated this grand demonstration of him riding into a donkey and, and, and the people waving palm branches? It wasn't because he wanted to throw a party in his honor. Jesus, when he caught his first glimpse of Jerusalem... He didn't stop to savor the moment. Scripture tells us when he saw Jerusalem, he wept. He wept because of his heart of compassion, because of his heart of love. And what we see here is a demonstration, a very strong declaration of love. Because this procession that he is a part of, it was not frivolous, it was purposeful. There was a purpose behind him riding into Jerusalem. It was not provoked by vanity, but by compassion and love. You say, well, why is that? First, I would say this. It was, it was time. <laughs> it was God's time. It was time for Jesus to do what he came here to do. In verse 23, we read that Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. See, God was the one determined in the timing, not man. It was God. God was the one who was behind all of this. And, you know, it, it's interesting because the religious leaders, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they had previously decided that it might be unwise 
to move against Jesus. Oh, they wanted him dead because he raised Lazarus from the dead. They wanted to kill Lazarus too. But they decided that it was unwise to do this against Jesus during the Passover celebration because they felt it would create too much uproar, that the people would be upset. So they they were willing to wait until things kind of cooled down a little bit. But all that changed after the parade. Because they felt like the whole world has gone after him. We got to put a stop to this. Why was it important for Jesus uh, that, that these men arrest him during Passover? Not because there were so many people in town. Nobody wants people around when you're arrested. Okay? Nobody. It's like the, the less people you know, the better. I've never been arrested, and I hope I never am. But if I am, I hope there's not a crowd watching. But understand this. It was because it was God's plan for Jesus to die at the same time as all of the other sacrificial lambs. God's timing was that as they were preparing for Passover, as they were slaughtering these lambs for the Passover feast, that they would also, the, the, the Passover lamb would be slaughtered, would be killed at the same time. It's God's plan. To understand the significance of this, you must understand something about the Passover celebration. You see, Passover was celebrated every year, commemorating the freeing of of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. They had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And on the night called Passover, God struck down every firstborn child of the Egyptians. And this devastating plague led to the release of the Jews out of their bondage, out of the slavery. It was this one that that broke the proverbial camel's back. It was this one that caused Pharaoh to say, you're released, go from us. I'm releasing you from this bondage. You see, God told the Israelites to slaughter a lamb to kill a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home, to to, to mark it with blood, to cover this home in blood. And the idea was that this blood of the lamb would be recognized by the angel of death that was protecting the firstborn child that lived in that home. See, it was meant to be a picture that pointed to another lamb, the lamb of God, who would die in our place to free us from a much greater slavery. From slavery to sin and slavery to death. See, it is likely that at the very time Jesus was dying on the cross, that the lambs were being killed and slaughtered for the Passover feast. He was the Lamb of God taking on the sins of of the world. It was time. It was God's plan. Second, I would say this. Jesus wanted it to be clear that this was a voluntary act. (laughs) He could have simply laid low. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem at that time. He could have walked away. He could have been appeasing like he had done before. 
But we read throughout the New Testament that, uh, that, that when people, when they went to kill him, he simply walked away. He slipped through the crowd. He walked away. They had no power over him and they could not take him until he allowed them to take him. See, knowing what was before him, knowing what was coming, the betrayal. When someone betrays our trust, it breaks our heart. The betrayal was coming. I mean, think about that. The humiliation of being stripped down, of of, of having your beard pulled out, of being beaten publicly. The crown of thorns being pushed down on his head, enduring the cross. The suffering that he went through the tremendous suffering, the ridicule from the soldiers being hung there on the cross in front of everybody. Humiliation and suffering. It is death. He chose he chose to come to Jerusalem. This is the magnificent love of our Savior. Because there is not one of us that would do what he did, knowing what he knew. He would be like, I'm not going there. I'm going to stay as far away from Jerusalem as I can get. But he did it anyway because of his great love. He was not the unwilling victim of a vicious plot. He was a willing sacrifice for all who would believe. For those of us who would receive him and say, yes, he is my Lord. He is my God. Do you see and hear how practical this message is? I mean, some of you may wonder if God could possibly love you. You know, maybe, maybe you failed him and you're so ashamed that it is impossible for you to imagine that God could still care about you. But understand, you need to approach this parade to Jerusalem in a different way, in a different angle. Listen, Jesus is not surprised by our failures. He came into Jerusalem to deliver us from these kind of things. He knows what you have done. He knows what I've done. And he wants us to make it clean. He wants to clean us and to set us free from that bondage. I mean, his invitation is simple. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy and weary burdened. And I will give you rest. Have you done that? Have you come to him? Are you hiding from the very one who wants to love you more than you have ever been loved by anyone in your life? Maybe it's time to stop hiding and and maybe it's time to start believing. Maybe life is difficult for you right now. Maybe you wonder if God is out to get you. 
Maybe things are so painful in your life that you're questioning his love for you. And if that is the case, then you need to approach the parade into Jerusalem differently. Realize that the Savior who gave his life for you loves you with a depth of love that is so profound and so deep. And understand that he goes to the cross for you and in your place. Realize that his love is so great. That he would not allow any needless suffering to come into your life. He's been through the suffering. He knows what it's like. He's not going to allow needless suffering in your lives. The trials that come presently are purposeful. And they're designed to lead you to something good. Something better. Maybe you find that your life is characterized by loneliness and a feeling that you've been forgotten. And as others celebrate the Easter season with family, your table might be a family of one. It's possible that you walk around the house wondering if anyone would miss you if you were gone. I say this morning, use a different approach to this. Understand that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered it with you on his mind. Wanting to be there. Wanting to sacrifice for you. And the death that he willingly suffered as a sacrifice was designed to make you a part of his family. You may feel alone. You may feel deserted. You may feel unimportant. But you were significant enough to the Savior for him to go to Jerusalem and to die a horrible death so that you could belong to him for all eternity. He knows you and he loves you. It seems so easy for us to talk about the love of God but it seems so difficult for us to accept it. To take it in. To receive it. Do you understand that he willingly went to Jerusalem for you and for me? And because of this, we have a strong reason for hope. Look in verse 14 and 15. It says, Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. The foal of a donkey. See, this is a quote from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. And in Zechariah 9.9, we see a prophecy that a king would ride into Jerusalem one day on a donkey. The declaration was made about 500, 550 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Folks, that's a long time. That's a really long time. 550 years before Jesus, it was prophesied that this king would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and, and at that time, Israel had no king. They were just returning back from their exile of captivity in Babylon. And they came back and they were rebuilding the wall. 
And you know, it, it's interesting because one author, J.C. Ryle, he gives us a, a flavor, okay, for the prophecy that these people heard in their day when they were coming back to Jerusalem from exile. This is what he says. He says, fear not, be not cast down or depressed, O daughter of Zion, or inhabitants of Jerusalem. Low and depressed as your condition may be now, there will be a day when you shall have a king. They're coming back from a defeated army. They're coming back into Jerusalem. The walls are broken down. The gates are broken down. And this prophecy is saying, don't be down on yourself. There is coming a day when you shall, which means it's a promise. You shall have a king again. There shall come one who will rise on a certain public location in your gate. A king on a donkey's colt, not as a warrior with a sword in hand, but as a peaceful prince just a just and holy king, better than David, better than Solomon, better than Hezekiah, better than Josiah, and bringing with him salvation for souls. Oh, that's huge. So don't think of yourself as forsaken. Because you are poor now and have no king, look forward to your coming king. That's really what that prophecy is saying. Look forward to your coming king. You say, well, Ridge, what does that mean for us today? What, what, what does that have to do with us? It's a simple but vital truth for daily living. And that is this, that God has a plan. That God has a plan there's even more prophetic evidence. The late Ray Stedman, he writes this in the book of Daniel chapter nine, we read a prophecy about 70 weeks and it's generally understood that the prophecy talks about a special 400 years of Jewish history that could begin to run its course when the command was given to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem following their Babylonian captivity when they got back. A special 490 years of Jewish history when 483 of those years had elapsed, Daniel prophesied Messiah, the prince, would then be presented to his people. Two very interesting books by Sir Robert Anderson, Messiah the Prince and Daniel and the Prophet. They trace the fulfillment of this prophecy, pointing out that on the very day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, 483 years had elapsed from the time of issuing the commandment to rebuild the wall. It was 483 years to the day this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay, I hear the question again, so what? Work with me, work with me. God has a plan. He's working his plan out. He's telling them what's going to happen, and then it happens. He tells us what's going to happen, and then it will happen. God has a plan, and God's plan did not end with the coming of Jesus Christ. This world in which we live is not running out of control. God's not surprised by what's taking place in our society today. God's not pleased with what is happening, but he's not caught off guard. 
Because the Bible is clear that there is a day coming when Jesus, King Jesus, shall return to this earth. And this time he will not come as the humble servant, but he will return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the decadence of our world does not surprise God. He told us that it would come. We read over in 2 Timothy 3, it says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. (laughs) We live in those times, those difficult times, and we will suffer. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. He also tells us, avoid such men as these. God's not surprised by all this. He knows it's happening. He's not wringing his hands wondering what to do because he is in control. And I would submit to you today that things are not out of control in your life either. Things are not out of control in your life either. Do you understand that God has a plan for you? I know from personal experience that there are times when I see what is going on in and around my life and I wonder what God is trying to do. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But in verse 16 of this passage, it says, these things his disciples did not understand at first. (laughs) But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. The disciples were unaware of what God was doing, what Jesus was doing. They missed the significance of that day. Only later on, reflecting on it, did they realize, oh, that's what was going on. Only later did they come to the place to see the hand of God in all that was taking place. And that may be true in your life as well. Listen, the fact that you don't understand what is going on in your life, all that's going on, does not mean that God is not at work. God has promised that he would lead everyone who believes in him to that which is ultimately good. So our promise, our promise is that God knows what he's doing. We may not understand it. We may not see it clearly, but he knows what he is doing. You may not understand, but you can trust him. And in fact, God does not require you to understand what he's up to. All he requires is that you trust him in it. So let me ask you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to trust God in the things that he is doing in your life right now? It may be lousy. It may be suffering. It may be hard. It may be difficult. I praise him that he did not shy away from that which was difficult. But he trusted the Father and he continued to do what the Father was leading him to do. So I ask you, 
Have you been coasting in your spiritual life? Did you just kind of kick it on autopilot and let, let happen whatever happens? Because many times that's what we do. We get frustrated because we cannot control the situation. Are you trusting in him? Have you taken the things of God for granted? We live in one of the most blessed countries in all of the world. We live in one of the most blessed states of all of the world. And what happens is we get comfortable and we begin to take things for granted. We take things like the freedom of our worship for granted. We don't know that we will always be able to meet like we are meeting here this morning. That's not a given. We do not know if we will have another breath when we leave this place. But we do know that we can trust God, that he has things that are ultimately for our good. And when it's our time to go, which he knows the time, he will take us home. I know Monica's going into a dangerous area. Crazy world. Things can happen. I pray God brings you back healthy. I pray that God would, would protect you and hedge about you and, and, and make it where you have a bubble around you that nothing can happen and nothing can hit you that, that is not God-ordained. But you know what? If something does happen to Monica, you know what? I hope that each one of us get to die doing God's will. Amen. I can think of worse ways to die. But you know what? She's in God's hands, and the same God that protects her here can protect her there. Amen. There is no need to fear. Our promise is that God knows what he is doing, and have we taken the things of God for granted? See, Jesus loves you. He loves you more than you could ever know. He, he faced the mobs for you. He endured the torture for you. He went to the cross for you. He went there so you could be free. Free from the failures, free from the addictions, free from the treadmill of futility, free to actually live, to do what he calls us to do. So are you willing to follow him? Not just to church, but are you willing to follow him in your daily life? Are you willing to trust him even when the future may be confusing? believing that he has a plan? And are you willing to serve him until the day when his plan on earth is fulfilled? <laughs> See, these are the questions of Palm Sunday. Take a fresh approach at this familiar event, and you may be surprised what you find. <laughs> it could literally change your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you are doing in each one of our lives. Father, I pray that there are times in our life where we've gotten comfortable, we've gotten complacent. As the saints, 
We've gotten complacent and we've not done your will. We've backed off. So I pray, Father, that you would continue to challenge us, that you would continue to to, to grow us to be more than we are. Father, that we would be obedient to you. Father, that we would continue to, to worship and honor you and serve you all the days of our life. Father, I pray that you would check our unbelief. Father, that you would challenge that. And Father, that today we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, I pray that you would bring us to a place of of belief. Oh, we hear and we know that Jesus died for us. Father, I pray that we would accept that, that we would receive it, that we would receive his sacrifice for our sin, for our failures, for the things that, that bind us. And God, we would trust that you have a plan. Father, help us to be saints who have integrity in our lives, who are willing to live for Jesus each and every day, who are willing to do the hard things in order that your kingdom would grow and that you would be glorified. Father, I pray that you would do this by your power and for your glory. Father, help us to to believe. It comes from you. All of it comes from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would make it so today. Guide us in this time of response. Father, our hearts are open. Father, may we be willing to be willing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.